Hello, welcome to a, a bit extra from From the Rookie End. Uh, we thought we'd replay you a, I don't want to quite call it a documentary, but basically we got a bunch of Watford fans to tell us about a very, very special night at St Andrews back in 1999. Yeah, you know I'm going with this, the uh, playoff semi-final. Uh, and it was, well, it was one of those things where you're trying to follow Watford where you can't always get to the game. You can be at the game, but getting to the game can also be quite hard. And so we asked a load of people on our um, on socials to send us their stories. And this is what we came up with. And it was beautiful uh, to hear all the different ways people watched, followed and experienced that playoff penalty shootout. Originally went out in December 2020 uh, when, of course, Watford uh, were on their way to win 1-0 away at Birmingham City. It was in the podcast we did after that game. And Watford fans weren't able to go because, hey, we were still on that lovely uh, lockdown. But there will be fans there on Tuesday night. And hopefully they can experience something at least half as special as we did in 1999. So here it is. Watford fans weren't able to make it to see Watford take on Birmingham City on Saturday, but a match at St Andrews lives strong and long in the memory of many Watford fans. Some were there and some were unable to make it. It was the end of the 1998-1999 season, and Watford fan and author Matt Rowson takes up the story. The 1999 playoff semi-final, second leg at St Andrews, remains comfortably the most intense experience of my Watford supporting life and obviously the intensity is part of the attraction of, of watching any football team but this was this was extraordinary to appreciate why in the, the context which was been promoted the previous year we'd won the what was then the division two the third tier title in quite dramatic circumstances we'd done quite well in the in the second tier we'd started well had a bit of a wobble beaten Sunderland at home in January who had come to be the best team in the division but were, were, you know, were slightly into mid-table which would still have been respectable having only just got promoted but Easter Saturday this sort of miserable wet game at home to Tranmere we just had a few dis- a run of disappointing results apparently dropping us out of the playoff picture and then and then this game we were 1-0 down and it was a rubbish game and we were playing really badly. You know, for the most part it wasn't raucous, it was very, very flat and dull. But this Tranmere team were very abrasive and you know, had they just played it slowly, slowed the game down, not provoked anything, then we would have lost 1-0 and almost certainly not have been promoted and, and the world would have been a very different place for Watford supporters. But as it was, <laughs> they started a Barney and it was a it was an absolute fight. Watford ended up winning the game very dramatically with nine men and continued to win games and won almost every game for the rest of the season which they would clearly need to do to get back into the playoff picture I think we only dropped a couple of points away at Barnsley and as a supporter you were, you were going to every game again I talked about the Birmingham Birmingham being the, 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 the highlight or the most the epicentre if you like but more than any other period you were going from game to game you know, everything else in your life that happened in between was just sort of filler detail. Right, Port Vale next right, or every focus on Port Vale, right, done done with Port Vale, you know, on to St Andrews or, or, or wherever it was. Every game was more important than the last and every game was the absolute focus. And, and because we were on such a run of form, despite having been, not been amongst the favourites but pre-season, and despite playing much more established second tier teams, we were fairly confident going to Birmingham Although the Bolton game, the final, was the crowning glory, that was the point where we sealed promotion. Obviously, the dramatic goals that 
everybody remembers. But that was the, the yin to the Birmingham gang, is that if the Bolton game was all sunlight and joy, the Birmingham game was dark and evil and, and malevolent. I certainly felt that having navigated Birmingham, there was no peril in the final. There was no doubt in my mind that we were going to win. This was the point at which we had to win the game. And we had that ridiculous queue outside the stadium for tickets. Pete Fincham, another Watford fan, was also in that queue. A load of us decided to get together and have a, have a few pints in the Escort Tavern before basically spending one of the best nights of my life out on the street. What's the real shame about the internet age is that we'll probably never get an opportunity to do that again. There must have been about 20 of us in a group some bought food, everyone bought booze. And it was particularly memorable for, uh, for me because Alice Arnold and I decided to break into the ground and go for a run around the pitch. And it was pitch back dark and unfortunately as we went behind the goal in front of the rookery, I didn't see the massive pitch covering tarpaulin. Hit it at, well, what was my full speed, which wouldn't have been particularly fast and went flying through the air and, and completely <laughs> ripped some ligaments in my knee. So then I spent the rest of the evening medicating in uh, Occupation Road, barely able to move my leg as it was swollen, uh, it got more swollen. My football career was curtailed at that moment, but um, it might have been curtailed somewhat before. But what an amazing evening when the sun started to come up and the queue got even bigger. People, even more people started to come and they saw the size of the queue. And I remember one old couple were, if the bloke said to his wife, if, if I missed out on tickets because you wouldn't let me stay, I'll never forgive you. Of course, everyone got tickets. I think still people were rocking up on the Thursday morning getting tickets, but nothing could possibly replace that evening. It was, it was truly momentous. And getting the ticket that night might have been great fun, but for non-season ticket holders like Nick Catley, it meant a little bit more of a subdued affair. I'd sort of resigned myself to the fact that I was going to have to watch it in a pub. But then, at the first leg, which I think was on the Sunday, there was an announcement that there were just a few tickets available that would go on sale to non-season ticket holders. And from that point, I thought, well, I'm going to have to be there somehow. And I thought the only way to do it is going to be to go down there, sleep outside the ticket office and get my ticket in the morning. Problem was, it being a Sunday, it was work the next morning. That wasn't ideal, but I thought, well, I'm going to have to be there. I lived in Harrow at the time, headed down to Watford about nine o'clock in the evening and settled down on the pavement. I'd brought a sleeping bag. There were about four or five people in front of me. So I was glad to get in the queue, glad to be ahead of whoever, however many hordes there were going to be there. So settled in and waited for everyone to arrive. Well, people didn't arrive. Six of us that were there at that time, I think a couple more might have joined, but there were only about eight people there. And I gradually realised that if you're the kind of person who's committed enough to sleep outside a ticket office to get a ticket for a match which is live on TV, you're probably going to have a season ticket. The night wore on. It was very slow. It was cold. It was May. How can May be that cold? And Occupation Road is very hard. I just had a sleeping bag, but I didn't get much sleep. We got to dawn and I knew that before too long I'd have that precious ticket. So that was great. And Charlie opened up at 7.30. But it soon became very clear that there weren't too many other people flooding in to get the tickets. And in the end, Charlie said, that you could buy as many tickets as you wanted. And so it was clearly completely unnecessary that I'd slept uh, on Occupation Road. Tickets in hand, it was off to Birmingham. Matt picks up the story at the red line. Having won the first leg 1-0, you're wide open for the second leg. 1-0 is a lead, but it's not much of a lead, so it certainly wasn't done by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember going to the red line before we caught the coaches up, but there was a sort of 
air of adrenaline, even though it was hours before the game. Everybody was already on edge. You know, the coach drive up, I remember the coaches being delayed. I can't remember how early the delay was, but we weren't comfortable getting there. Pete Fincham. It was pandemonium. I think getting up there, the, the traffic was, was chaos. We were convinced that um, we were going to miss kickoff. The phones were going from people who were there saying it had kicked off in one place and kicked off in another. And fortunately, we were all on these coaches. And I never got the coaches, never ever took the coach. But we all did for this one, just on the grounds of being together and it was a bit safer and getting in and out. But going out, I think we were so horribly optimistic that it was, in true Watford tradition, was only going to end one way and we were going we to lose. But no one dared say it. The, the rules of drink on coaches was uh, slightly put to bed that night as well. I, I don't think there was too much sobriety as we staggered off. But not everyone was on their way, St Andrews. Many, many fans weren't able to make it because it was a midweek trip. And it was definitely a long way for Frances Lynn. She was working in Boston. Yes, the one in America at the time. It was a work afternoon for me. So I settled down for the game in my office. Unfortunately, in those days, I didn't have access to any radio commentary, nor, obviously, any television pictures. My way of following the game was to log into a chat room, which was attended by a number of Watford fans all over the place. Some kind person who did have access to the radio commentary would type in what was going on for those of us who didn't have any way of following it other than that. It's quite a stressful way to follow such a, an important game. And Colin Mace was a little busy as well. I was working for the Royal Shakespeare Company at the time and, and we were performing Othello on the night of the second leg. I was playing Montano, the governor of Cyprus. So I'm standing on stage in the fifth act and one of the crew members is a friend of mine. He's a big Birmingham City fan. Of course, there's been quite a lot of tension between us during the day and the build-up to the evening's performance and also to the game itself, obviously. And like so many who didn't make it, Steve was in the pub. We were in a pub in Muswell Hill. Me and my mate were the only two Watford fans in this pub because obviously we were in North London full of Tottenham and Arsenal fans. So we were creating a bit of a scene like with the only ones like making a bit of noise and what have you. The pub generally got more and more interested in the whole night. More from what eventually happened to Steve later. As the fans arrived at St Andrews, there was a typical welcome from the Blues fans. Matt Rowson. It was a horrible night. You know, it wasn't... Uh, um, you know, there are some grounds you go to now where the crowd is boisterous and noisy, but you don't... It, it's all about their team. It's not designed to intimidate. Well, this was designed to intimidate, and it did. Um, and it was very, very aggressive. Pete Fincham again. There was that mountain of noise from, from the home fans. It was shivering. The whole ground was shivering with that noise. I, I, I can't imagine you couldn't hear that noise in, in Wolves about 15 miles away. It, it, was, it was like something else. I've heard some big noises from some crowds and that is really up there. I can still hear them singing, the singing they oh, keep on till the end of the road now and and the, the hostility it was actual pure venom it was hatred hatred of anyone who wasn't them i think for the first few minutes it, it kind of got to us i'm um, behind the goal and it got to the got to the whole team it was a little bit jittery in the book tales from the vicarage 2 matt wrote a chapter about the night here read by Watford fan colin mace he who was on stage at the royal shakespeare company that night reads an extract from matt's chapter the noise was insane, like stepping out into the scorching midsummer sun, inescapable, stifling. You couldn't hear yourself shout, let alone talk, a fearsome racket. 
Within two minutes, an unseemly goal-mouth scramble, and Deli Adibola had prodded away our first leg advantage. The rest of the game, a blur. What a team we were that night, battling for one another. Johnson, Gibbs, Mooney flying into challenges. Birmingham asked questions. We answered them. About. In the stands, nervous tension built and built. We clung on. On the pitch. Off the pitch. The ball, to twist the metaphor, was almost irrelevant. This was elemental stuff. Stem the tide. David Holdsworth was sent off. That helped. It gave us a breather. Our heads above water, gasping, filling our lungs. Until Michael Johnson's free header. Textbook. Going in. Then, it isn't. Magnificent stop from Chamberlain. But fingers are stuck to scalps. Rigid. Extra time. More. Worse. Then. Then us. Then them. Mostly them. Can't give up now. Can't let go. Can't score, either. We go to penalties. Alex saves from Furlong. Stunning. Ah, Desperate release. Crushed immediately. Not going to be that easy. Not ever. In the stands, this means everything now. The drama crafted over the last month building to this point. Each of ours, a yell of joy. Each of theirs, a step closer to despair. Us, them. Us, them. Too much, this. Too much. Someone make this stop. Make it stop. That moment. The half second it took for the message to travel from the other end of the stadium to your eyes. And from there to realisation remains the most extraordinary I've experienced in a football stadium, perhaps even outstripping the same dying seconds of the equivalent fixture 14 years later. Every sinew was coiled to snapping point, every ounce of nervous energy spent, everything furiously focused and terrified at what was happening at the far end of the pitch. And then, suddenly, it wasn't. Like being hit by a tranquilizer dart, all the terror all the adrenaline spun away to be replaced by joyous abandon, relief and certainty that we would win at Wembley. No worries there. No thought wasted upon it. The replay might suggest that Bolton started well, but it was never in doubt. The difficult season that followed does nothing to dampen the memory of that most vivid, draining Magnificent evening supporting Watford Football Club. And it still comes as something of a surprise that we lost the game. So how was everybody during the penalties? First, Pete Fincham. I have no recollection. I have no recollection beyond, I think it was Palmer's miss up until Chamberlain's save. I, I don't remember a single thing. All I remember is... The, ex- the excitement of it all, the intensity of it all, the straining your neck to see what's going on. Because we were right down the front. We were about maybe two or three rows behind the centre of the goal where, where Birmingham scored after just a minute. We couldn't have been closer. 
And as of course with the penalties, everyone was piled down the front. So we struggled to see, we struggled to actually get any kind of um, vantage point. And in a way it didn't really matter because you knew if it went in, you knew if it had been saved, you knew in the case of um, Palmer that he'd, he'd put it wide. But in terms of being able to visualize any of it, I, I can't, I just can't do it. But then there was the end. I, I felt a rush through my body that made me want to collapse. That's the, that's the first and overlasting memory I have since the start of the penalties. I, I, I just almost collapsed. And how was Fran following along in the chat room? It was bad enough normal time, but then it went into extra time and then into penalties. Now, penalty shootouts are incredibly stressful at the best of times, but waiting while somebody types in the result of each penalty was incredibly stressful, especially as this penalty shootout seemed to go on forever. We'd had two misses and 13 penalties scored before Chris Holland stepped up, and I saw the words Holland saved come up on my screen. I think I froze at that point because my memory is that I spent about half an hour hyperventilating while, while clutching onto my desk and just staring at my screen, trying to take in what had just happened. That semi-final has lived long in my memory. It can still make my heart pound thinking of that penalty shootout. On stage, Colin is performing at the Royal Shakespeare Company with a blue-nosed mate in the wings. During the fifth act, I'm standing on stage and he's in the wings where I can see him and he's got an earpiece in and he's listening to the radio, which was quite a common practice in those days. He was mouthing the word penalties to me, penalties, gone to penalties. And I'm standing there trying to concentrate on what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have any lines at this point, fortunately. Then he starts holding up his fingers. So Birmingham have scored a penalty and then we've scored a penalty and then they've missed a penalty. And the tension is absolutely appalling. I'm standing on stage in front of about 800 people. Um, Othello is uh, making this extraordinary speech over the body of Desdemona. All I can think of is, are we going through? Are we not going through? And I look over finally and he's just shaking his head with utter despair and disgust and stalks away. And I know in that moment that Watford have done it. We've won a penalty shootout. We're going to Wembley. And uh, I just remember the feeling of total elation and joy to the point where I almost wanted to do a little jig on stage at exactly the same moment that uh, Othello pushes the knife into his own body and brings the play to an end. So Steve was in the pub having a great time. But what happened to him in the end that night? Ended up getting quite drunk and um, in the end everyone came back to our flat to continue the the party, so the the after party went on. So I was working the next day. Um, I was working shift work at the time, so I had to be at work at six o'clock the following morning. Knowing that we were in a playoff semi-final was a bit of a bit of a thing. So I, I had to clock in at six o'clock. So I said to my mate I was working with, I said, just, just clock me in at six o'clock. So I was going to be there at, say, eight o'clock before the managers got in. But officially, I was there at six o'clock. So I would get there at eight o'clock and the manager would have been otherwise. It would have all been good. The, the night went on. We, we ended up getting more and more um, drunk back, back at our house. I can't really remember what happened after that. Um, but the next thing I can remember is like waking up at midday the next day thinking, oh, blimey, I should be at work. I should have been at work at six o'clock. I jumped in my car, got to work, you know, got in loads of trouble, got a written warning for, for missing like half the day and got my mate in trouble at work for having clocked me in like illegally. And I uh, got in loads of trouble. And um, yeah, but it was all in a good cause because we uh, got to the power final. So it's all good. <laughs> 
The tie was won. And how do Matt and Pete look back on the whole thing? From the beginning, we'd been building up to this point. Again, something I remember thinking at the time. When you're carrying a carrier bag with some groceries and you twist it so it starts coiling in a certain direction, you can keep twisting it manually. If you, you know if you let go, it's going to unravel and, and spin and spin and spin. So you, you, you keep twisting and see how far you can twist it. And that's what was going on in sort of April to May 1999, that it was getting tighter and tighter and tighter and you were getting more and more and more tense. And that save from Alec Chamberlain was the carrier bag unravelling, unrolling and, and all the pressure relieving, just such relief. And I remember being in the lower tier in that away end and just looking at the sky and yelling. And there were two Birmingham fans leaning over the top tier and I was expecting abuse and I was I may even have got my retaliation in first and they they applauded and it was extraordinary they were clapping down okay the, the, this epic battle was over I'm sure they don't remember it nearly as fondly or in as much detail as we do but they were gracious enough to give us a thumbs up and a, and a clap at the end. Two season wonder roll it was just the best time of my life supporting Watford. The city of that and the visceral emotion, the rawness. I can't imagine in my lifetime ever experiencing anything quite like that because we were all part of the same journey from finishing up um, Kenny Jackett's last game in charge and then fast forward two seasons to be then going to Wembley for a place in the Premier League. Wow, we're never going to do that again. And as I said, the Bolton result was never in question. Um, I might not have felt like that. Early on, when Idaka Johnson and Bob Taylor were having chances and Alec was working hard at, at Wembley, but there was none of the dramatic tension in the final that there was in that semi-final. And despite us actually having lost on the night, it remains the, the most special game that I've been to in, in all my years of following Watford. Massive thank you to Pete Fincham, uh, to Matt Rowson, not only for contributing his, uh, his memories, but also letting us read his chapter from Tales from the Vicarage. Colin Mace, Francis Lynn. Steve and Nick Cately, thank you so much for sharing all those memories of a special day at St Andrews. Let's see if we get another one on Tuesday.